I love my Savior too. And as we sang that song together, isn't it a powerful message? to give thought to that purpose for our gathering today, to offer our heartfelt worship to the God of heaven who sufficiently loved us that He sent His Son to die on the cross for you and for me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And as you and I appreciate that anthem this morning, we're going to give some thought to the Bible and family tree. As we do that, I suppose there are certain connections that may already have appeared to you as you've thought about that title but I trust as we develop that, it can be a meaningful consideration to help you and me being motivated in our service faithfully to the God of heaven. You may notice on this next slide that I've attempted in a very general way to offer a word of introduction. And that word begins like this. Perhaps all of us, certainly most of us, are quite familiar with the concept of a family tree. I chose to put a definition there, and I did that for this reason. It's a diagram that shows the relationship between people in several generations of a family. Maybe you have drawn your family tree at least back a few generations. May I point out that just as surely as that can be presented, there's a lot of thought that can be stated about it. Now today, you and I aren't going to be interested in your biological one or mine. Our interest is something connected to the Bible, and I truly think that it can be a very refreshing and meaningful consideration. Wouldn't it be fair to say that there are some people in various families that are very interested in family trees? You may have someone in your family who's traced your family back for a couple hundred years or more, giving some emphasis to the research that goes into finding all those dates and places and who married and when and even where individuals are now buried. But all of that reminds us that the Word of God has some things to say about family tree. And that'll be our focus and our emphasis surely today. On this next slide, I thought we'd devote the first portion of our lesson to thinking about some Bible examples in a general way first, and then we'll make several applications over the latter part of our lesson time this morning. As far as these Bible examples, I'm sure you've seen the TV advertisements Sometimes they appear in magazines, or sometimes they appear in other kinds of ways that are easily seen on the Internet. www.ancestry.com So you can make appeal to that, the individuals who operate that website. And by paying them a little money, they will take information you share with them, and they'll trace your family back as far as they can easily get it. And you may soon learn that you have connection to royalty here or there, or perhaps individuals that came from Africa or Europe or Asia. And sometimes there are those maybe in conversation you've talked to who've shared with you, well, my people came from Africa, or my people, in fact, have connection back to royalty in England. Well, that might be intriguing. That might be an interesting topic of conversation. But what about biblical application of that idea? We aren't going to look at Ancestry.com this morning. We're going to look at the Word of God. And isn't it interesting that God in His inspired Word invests at least a fair amount of it connected to genealogical information. In fact, in Genesis chapter 5, would you piece together this idea? As you and I look at the various generations of those that are presented, we learn that the Word of God shows us from Adam all the way to Noah. A continuous line of individuals in terms of those to whom the blessing was bequeathed. 
but it doesn't stop at Noah. As you and I turn the page over to Genesis 11, it picks right up at Noah and goes all the way to Abraham. An unbroken line that connects us from that initial man of Adam, really all the way to Abraham, at least at that time. That is it all. When you come to 1 Chronicles, the opening 11 chapters of that book, you find a rather lengthy listing of information of the 12 tribes of Israel. Their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, and one by one, all of that's listed. And you and I know that God doesn't waste His time. That was valuable. There was information in it that was meaningful for them. The books of First and Second Kings, as well as the Chronicles, also devote a fair amount of attention to what you and I would call information about family trees. Well, maybe that's enough about that until we make this observation. Would you think about the Lord's family tree? Put yourself into the consideration of none other than Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 as well as Luke chapter 3. There's an extensive listing back through the prior generations as to those from whom He descended. Would you pause long enough to note this? We're talking about those who preceded the Jesus. Many of them were rather favorable people. In fact, in that list is a man named David. And you and I know otherwise, he's called a man after God's own heart. He's referred to in Acts 13 as the very one who is described in that way. And in 1 Samuel 13, a very similar description is found to the betterment of him connected, standing opposed to Saul. In 1 Kings 15, verse 11, we encounter Asa. He too was in that bloodline that would lead ultimately to the Christ. And it is said there that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. A similar statement could be made also about Josiah. That young boy who at the age of eight became one of the kings of Judah. But again, he was in the bloodline that would lead to the Christ. What about the next observation? When you and I think of Jesus and think about those noble individuals who preceded Him, what about those that were not so noble? I close that slide by bringing to your attention none other than Manasseh. In Matthew chapter number 1, Jesus was descended through Manasseh. And yet Manasseh is one of the most evil kings Judah ever had. Wicked, ungodly turning his back against and apart from the nature of God, this man was not a good example of anything that I know of. Not only that, there was Amon. Amon wasn't a good example of anything either that I know of. The Bible describes him in such a note of ungodliness and a note of iniquity and a note of evil, and yet those two were in the bloodline of the Christ. Could I invite you to make a few applications of those observations this morning? making application, not in a general way, but in a specific way to your life and to mine. I'll begin with this one. As you think about those instances of the Master, the very nature of that ancestry, if you please, of Jesus, isn't it a beautiful thing to highlight that it is entirely possible to rise above the bad? Your daddy, your granddaddy, in fact, those recently in your life or mine may well not have been all that they could have been. I mentioned Manasseh. 
and I also mentioned Amon. If you take the time to read 2 Kings 21, verses 11 and following, you'll find a rather detailed description of the attributes of their life, what their kingship was like, and the emphases which they gave. And it was not pretty. Given to things like murder, given to things like abortion, and that not going on in our land today giving interest to things that were very much opposed to the will of God, they did not, you see, lift high the banner of what was good. What if Manasseh had been your daddy? What if Amon had been your granddaddy? Could you or I have risen above the terrible influence that they would have given us? May I point out to you that as you give thought to this, the Bible details that the grandson, the son, if you please, that followed those two was none other than Josiah. You went in many ways from the worst of the kings Judah ever had to the best king they ever had. The apple fell pretty far from the tree when it came to Josiah. He didn't follow his daddy. His daddy was named Amon, as terrible as he was. His granddaddy was named Manasseh, as terrible as he was. Josiah rose far above them. He chose a better way of life. He chose something finer for this life and the one after it. He turned his attention to what was far more noble because his heart was centered on something that Manasseh and Amon's heart wasn't centered on. To rise above the bad. You see, God demands that each of us stand in an individual way. Your daddy or mine, your grandmother or mine, your great-grandparents or mine, they might have lived beneath their privileges. They might have chosen to do, say, and act in ways that are unbecoming based on the Word of God, but you and I can't use that as an excuse. Josiah didn't. He didn't say, well, my daddy was this way, so I guess I'll be too. Grandpa, this is what he always did, but I guess that's enough for me. None of us can make that claim legitimately because God demands that you and I give answer for ourselves. Using the wisdom and the appreciation of our intellect and our revelation concerning the will, the will of God, you and I can do what Josiah did on that slide near its bottom. How often does the Word of God challenge us in a similar way to the way it might well have encouraged Josiah? In Ezekiel 18, verse number 20, The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son, but the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon Him, the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon Him. We also notice in the heart of the New Testament, wherein... Romans 14, 12 reminds all of us, So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. You see, one's family tree does not then require that I make the mistakes that others in my past may have made. And the same is true of you. Do you know of someone in your family tree who perhaps over time there were those that again were not what God would have wanted them to be? But there came a time when somebody had the courage and bravery to stand up and say, I and my family are doing it this way. We're going to faithfully attend the services of the church. We're going to lead our children in the way of godliness. 
And we're going to be the upstanding citizens of rightness known in this community. If so, it took courage to do that. Because others knew what your dad or granddad was known for, but you set about the consideration to be different. In Jesus' family history, there was a Manasseh. And there was an Amon, but that didn't handcuff the Lord to be anything other than the Son of God. He rose above that which was bad. What about lesson number two? Not only is it true that one can rise above the bad, our family tree cannot be used as an excuse to handcuff us to evil and sin. But there is another side to that coin. There's another very evident consideration otherwise found in that ancestry of our Lord. I mentioned you earlier, as you give thought to Manasseh and Ammon, they were wicked and Josiah was such a godly king. Could I turn the tables around and ask it this way? Who was Manasseh's father? If he was so evil, I wonder about his daddy. Good guy or not? A man devoted to the evil or not? His father's name was Hezekiah. You've probably already recognized elements about that name. The Old Testament has much to say about a gentleman who turned his heart to the God of heaven, and that man's name was Hezekiah. Now you begin to see it from the other perspective. A man who was godly, Hezekiah, had a kid, a son that was the, rot the rotten scoundrel that became Manasseh. It can go the other way. It's entirely possible for one to sink beneath the blessedness of one's ancestors. Those who did do right and who chose the better way, and yet maybe succeeding generations make their own decisions and go in a very different direction. How tragic. How so sad. It happened in the Lord's ancestry as well. On that slide, I've shared with you a few of the details. Again, we'll not take the time to read the chapters from 2 Chronicles 28 all the way to 2 Chronicles 34. But we could be reminded there about not only the efforts of Josiah, but somewhat the references to Hezekiah, who, by the way, would have been his great-grandfather. But at this point, should we not note this? This man, Hezekiah, you and I might remember he prayed earnestly to God. He became sick at one time. And he prayed that, in fact, his life might be lengthened, and God answered that prayer and gave him 15 additional years. You may recall the prophet Isaiah challenged him directly and said, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Isaiah 38. And yet he turned his face to the wall and prayed with tears streaming down his face. And God heard that prayer and gave him 15 more years. It is an interesting thing to observe that in that additional time, we at least are reminded that God heard his prayer and answered it. And yet he had a son named Manasseh. A son who again was about as wicked as any of the kings Judah would ever have an awful king from the perspective of godliness. Does that remind us as well as those in distant biblical times of the long ago, one can fall beneath the blessed privileges of one's parents and otherwise. Dad and mom might have been fine godly people. Doesn't mean I'll be. Granddad and grandpa could have been the finest God-fearing people. According to the word of God, doesn't mean I'll be. 
grandpa and grandma may have their names in the book of life and I may be headed to hell. That's just how it is. Each of us can make our own choices when it comes to this. And we can't just ride grandpa and grandma's coat strings into heaven. Each one of us, just like we learned earlier, will give account of ourselves unto God. One of the additional matters I've shared with you on that slide takes us back to that same pair of passages. As Paul addressed that precious congregation at Rome, that too was a church wherein there had been influences that were less than noble. And yet to them, Paul said, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. And that surely includes you and me as well. Oh, how thankful we can be for parents who strove to instill in us the things that are right, conviction in the Word of God, and faithfulness connected to it. But each of us, again, will make our choices. We will choose our priorities, and we will direct the pathways of our own life. As you close that slide with me, it is an initial reminder that those negative influences of generations past need not handcuff us to sin. But the positive influences of generations past will not guarantee that our influences will be that way either. And so what about lesson number three? In addition to these two, might we take a moment and think about some of the factors that are listed in light of that ancestry of our Lord. The New Testament, both in Luke 3 and in Matthew 1, goes to great length to highlight before us those who preceded our Lord in that bloodline. But as you reflect upon some of those names, isn't it true that the very mention of some of them brings to mind certain characteristics and certain behaviors? I've already listed some of them. The very name Manasseh probably brings to mind negative things because we know what he did. And the very name Josiah brings about a thought of positive and powerful and forceful influence for good because we know what he did. Isn't that same principle true today? Likely in a rural community like we are in Putnam and Jackson County, especially, the very thought of a family's name could easily bring to mind what has happened in generations past or certain things for which they tend to be known. I'm sure we all know of families whose name stands for honesty and trustworthiness and integrity and uprightness. And we like doing business with them. We trust them. We honor that for which they stand. And we hope that they think that about us. But it's also true that there can be families who are not known for things like that. Things whose name stands for dishonesty or lack of character or people on whom you cannot have commitment. They don't back their word up by things that they do. They kind of fall by the wayside. You soon learn not to have a deep-seated confidence in those people. You may wish better for them. What about the family name idea? Isn't it true the Word of God shares with us some information about that? I've called to your attention Proverbs chapter 22, verse number 1. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. That's how worthy a good name is. You and I thus have the luxury, the opportunity to strive to bring about the reality 
of a good name. It may well be that, again, our ancestors may not have set that great name before us. We have the privilege of trying to do better, if that's true. In fact, taking it upon ourselves with an effort to do better. It's fair to say that in that text of Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1, Solomon emphasizes this again. A good name is more precious than the finest of ointment. How precious is your name to you? Are you going to leave it with your children better than you found it? Is your grandchildren going to have a better name than it would have been if you hadn't been here? All of us need to ask that question. We have, in fact, the situation we are going to say something about our name one way or the other. Are we going to leave it better? Are we going to instill in it the characteristic of that which is of God? Nothing can be said when it comes time to write your headstone or mine that he or she lived for the Lord. Remember me, oh my God, for good. The famous words you and I notice at the ending of one of those Old Testament books. It might be in that connection that this particular consideration of family name takes us right back to the ancestry information of the Bible. Josiah rose far above his daddy and granddaddy. But sad to say, Manasseh chose to live quite a bit beneath Hezekiah. And all of us make our own choice. Lesson number four tries to wrap all of this up like this. So far, have you noticed that with all the thoughts we've given about this ancestry and this family name, as well as the issues connected to the family tree, we've always looked backwards. Such and such was the son of so-and-so and the grandson of so-and-so. Could I ask all of us to look forward for a moment? That is to say, you and I know that in many ways a family tree has a living aspect in that there are currently children or soon children will be born to continue it to the next generation. And the generation after that, again, if the God of heaven allows time to continue. But what does that ask and demand about you and me? As you look forward, what do you see about the generation following you? One of the statements that Glenn Colley made when he was here with us last year. You may remember at one point during one of his presentations, he said, four generations of gospel preachers. And he currently has a grandson. I'm sure he's hoping he'll be number five. What about you? Do you want your son to be a faithful elder? preacher, deacon, faithful member of the Lord's church? Do you want your daughter to again be known for far and wide as a person committed to the things of truth? Perhaps a strong matriarch of a family known for serving the Lord among all things else. If that's what we want, it won't happen accidentally. That son, that daughter, those grandchildren will have to be an environment of absolute godliness because the world is going to try to push them the other way. The world's going to surround them with influences that will tear down what might be the ultimate wish if that's what we want. Maybe your family hasn't been known for the kind of thing of which we spoke. Do you want to start it that way? A son, grandson, thereafter, known for preaching the Word, standing strong as a force for good in the church? If so, that has to start somewhere. Why not today? Why not now? 
Again, it will not happen of its own. It never will. It'll take an ongoing commitment. You and I need to be known for the Lord, and our choice is absolutely critical. If I want the generation following me, and if you want the generation following you to be steadfast and strong for the church, that needs to start right now. To place that next generation in an environment wherein that will be seen important. And it'll be critical. And then they can make the choice of their mate so that they can have a family that'll be known for that same element in godliness. That kind of thing is such a powerful choice to think about looking forward, not just looking backward in terms of our family tree. In 1 John 5, verse number 3, we notice that God's commandments are not grievous. And so a family given to the commitment of those commandments, to love the Lord by obeying Him always. Joshua made a statement near the close of the book that, uh, of the book that bears his name. In Joshua 24, verse number 15, he pointed out this interesting statement. You and I will remember that in Israel, not everybody chose, sadly, to be followers of the God of heaven. Joshua said, Choose you this day whom you'll serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so a family that makes a decision to move in that direction could well have an impact, a rippling impact for generations to come. Families committed to the Lord families who serve Him despite the fact many influences surrounding do not. May that be your family and mine. May, in fact, the church be strong in generations to come because we put in motion a set of events that would lead to that eventuality. Are you a faithful Christian today? If you're not, your family tree is almost guaranteed not to look positive in the ones after you. That's just how the Bible portrays it. It happened in the book of Judges. It happened so often in the New Testament. You and I need to be faithful, committed Christians to the God of heaven. If you're not in that condition today, why not? There is no better life than the Christian life. And it's the only life with the hope and promise of the life after this one. If you have, in fact, chosen to fall beneath the privileges of your ancestors. Maybe they chose a way that's good, but you haven't. You could change today. You could do differently today. And from this point forward, things could begin to slide in the positive direction for you. But by the same token, maybe others did not choose wisely. You don't have to make the decision they made. Thanks be unto God, you don't have to make the decisions they made. You can choose differently. You can allow the Word of God to reign supreme in your heart. And you can march forward and onward and upward, following the Lord, Revelation 14, 4, to the place where He will lead you. The family name is that critical and had a, what a blessedness it is. And we close the lesson with that final statement of conclusion. As you and I look forward, what do we want the generation coming from us to be? May we pick wisely in light of the choices of our life. Today, the God of heaven extends the greatest of all invitations. He wants you to be saved, and He wants you and your family to move them in a direction such that all will be well with their soul. 
wouldn't it be something to consider to stand before the God of heaven on the day of judgment? As you recognize that one and all will be there. And to notice some who are lost may well be those of your own family who chose poorly. Oh, may that not be happened to us. Today, if we could be of some assistance, the plan of salvation says that if you never become a Christian yet, why not today? Believe with all of your heart in the Christ. Repent of your sins, confessing His name as a Son of God, and be buried in baptism for the remission of those sins. If you have begun that walk with the Lord, but as of today, all hasn't gone well because you've begun to make additional other choices not consistent with the one that He would wish you to make. You know, you could begin making different decisions. You can get forgiveness from those you have made that are bad. Jesus has promised that if you will but repent of them and confess them, He will forgive them. We're going to stand and sing this song that has been chosen. If we could help anyone today, how much we would wish to do it, that you too could begin the roadway to a family, line, to a family tree as positive as it could possibly be. If we could be of help now, won't you come while we stand and while we sing?